0: If you have your Bible, would you go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, We're beginning to draw to a close in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll get all the way through it next week. Uh, If you're new here, we've begun a series in the book of 1 Peter, and we're very glad that you're able to jump in here with us as we uh, have that today in the opening of our series. But I do want to just make you aware of a few things. We do have the fall kickoff lunch. This is like the, the apex of the fall kickoff today. We have a lot of different things happening, but... One of the highlights today is something new for us as a church, the fall kickoff lunch. That's for those today that are 18 to 35, and I know that there's a lot of questions about what's during that time. Uh, we're going to be sharing some things going on in the church. There's some ways that we're going to actually look to hear back from you as a congregation as well, and just intentional time around the table together and having fellowship with one another. Something that I somewhat regret was I, I feel like we canceled or didn't schedule um, some church-wide picnics, and I thought that was something that just was a miss on my part this year. And I thought, well, how is it that we can get back together around a table and just spending that kind of time together? And that's somewhat where these fall kickoff lunches came from. So as I learn, uh, you get to be the beneficiaries of me learning lessons, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, But I hope that today is just a wonderful time together to be able to talk together and get to know one another. We actually look forward to getting to know you as a church through these lunches and very excited for that kind of time. Uh, As it was mentioned in the video, today is the last Sunday for the school uniform drive and then we also have the big red bus here today. So as if there weren't enough already going on, there's all of that and then like the cherry on top is the men's basketball league that starts this afternoon. So I will be here uh, cheering on every foul that I see happen since I'm not able to be out there participating that myself. Well, what we've been through in this series thus far is Peter has been encouraging believers who are in exile. Now, that exile may have just come by that's where they lived. Uh, That exile may have come through things that were happening in Rome and they had been sent out of the city. Uh, There's a lot of different reasons that the people of God were kind of scattered about in what is now known as modern-day Turkey. But here's what was clear. They are strangers in a foreign land. Now, that doesn't just have to do with where they're positioned geographically. They're strangers in a foreign land because they belong to the kingdom of God. And Peter is at the foundation telling them, don't make this world your home. Don't get comfortable here. And there's a message for us as a church in that today, but he's he's doing this and he's grounding everything that he is saying in the good news of the gospel. In other words, you've been redeemed by Jesus, and so don't live for the things that you once lived for that helped you realize your need for him. Don't go back to the things, and we're gonna see that refrain and that motif come up again and again today. Peter wants to encourage his readers. He's not there to browbeat them and say, look at how you're not living up. And I think that's important for us to have as a foundation today because it can be very easy when we get into a subject like personal holiness to think, well, here it comes. Here comes the works. Here comes where it is that I fall short. Can we just say at the outset, myself included, church, we all fall short. We all need the grace of God. Isn't it encouraging to be with others who are so desperate and in need Who can even say, let's not look to what it is that we can accomplish on our own, and let's look to the one who accomplished everything that we need. That's the good of the church community. Peter's also reminding them that they live in a time of of tremendous privilege. There's a fulfillment of the good news. They're not living in the time of the prophets where they're looking ahead to a Savior to come. They're living in a time of the fulfillment of those prophecies. And we find ourselves in a similar age, don't we, where we're looking for the culmination of this good that we hear about, that we are called to live in the good of. And then Peter gives us an understanding of the sufferings that we'll face in this life, hardships, hostility, opposition, because of our faith, because of our new identity, things that we will face. But the question remains, what are they to do? What is it that they're supposed to do with this? How do they go about relating to this hostile world that they're now in as exiles? How is it that they're to relate to one another in the midst of sufferings and difficult circumstances? Aren't these the same questions that we're grappling with today? It gives us a way to be able to read the scripture where we don't just see it as that day. We can actually understand there's something good for us to learn from today as we submit ourselves to God's word. Peter's going to address that now for us. He's going to exhort his readers, reminding us where it is that we're supposed to set our hope. Peter reminds us that personal holiness declares a very public gospel, and he calls us to live like it. He tells us as the people of God to live like it. Now, why do I say that this personal holiness and this public gospel where, well, Peter is no longer writing to just those who are Jewish in his day. Peter is no longer writing to those who are Gentiles. And and in a culture that we live in today, we don't even understand those types of distinctions. And yet, Peter shows us that what's happening is the gospel is spreading to the ends of the earth. That's God's plan and his intention all along. It's happening through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of his son. That's the foundation that all of this is built on. And that's this public gospel it's going to the world and he says that our personal holiness is going to make a declaration in the midst of that our sufferings that we face and the way that we respond to that but also our personal holiness and this may be where it's very tempting for those who have grown up in the church and maybe even grown up in legalistic churches where your public holiness was a judge of what was going on in your personal heart Can I just speak to that for a moment? That is not the gospel. That is not welcome here. That is not my intent today. And yet at the same time, Scripture calls us to personal holiness. So what are we to do? Well, we're to reject what is not of this world, what is of man. And we're to embrace what is of God's call on our lives. So church, can we lean into that this morning as we see the scriptures? Let's not lean into the hurt and the pain of our experiences. Let's lean into the good that God has for us through his word and not man's. Would you pray with me to that end before we begin? Holy Spirit, how we need you to live for your glory. We find ourselves desperate for you. What a wonderful place to be because we know you will meet us. You fill us, the purpose of good, for us as individuals, for others that we interact with. But Lord, we pray today, before we think about the the word going forth through our lives, we pray today that we would receive for our individual lives. Lord, today, this is not about Metro Life Church as an institution. This is about the individuals that make up Metro Life Church. So Holy Spirit, in the way that only you can minister to everybody hearing these words today. Individually, revealing yourself to them, calling them to holiness, that we may live for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, Sir David McNee, who headed the London Metropolitan Police Force, gave an example of British police humor by quoting the following parody from the Metropolitan Police Examination Question. Follow along with me if you will. This is an exam given to those seeking to be a part of the Metropolitan Police Force. You are on patrol when an explosion occurs on the next street. And as you arrive, you note that a crowd of people are running about, flailing their hands in the air and screaming. And on further investigation, you find a large hole and an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's the strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You know this man, he's an unlicensed driver, but the wife of the inspector, who is your boss, is the other passenger. Now a motorist stops to offer assistance, and you recognize him. He's a felon. He's wanted for armed robbery, and then suddenly another man runs out of a nearby house, and he shouts that his wife is expecting a baby, and that the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. At that moment, you hear someone crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion. He cannot swim. So describe in just a few words what it is that you will do. Sir David then said that one of his bright young officers had given thought to this problem and he picked up a a pen and he wrote, remove uniform, mingle with crowd. (laughs) How often as Christians do we give in to the temptation to remove our uniform and try to mingle with the crowd? How often do we try to Take the identifying marks of who we've been purchased by and set them aside for just a few moments to be accepted by the crowd around us. That's the question we need to wrestle with today. Let's read in First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. are in God. Now today we begin to look at the second of the key themes in 1 Peter throughout this book of the scripture. We saw last week how he introduces the subject of suffering and the things that we will face in this life. And today we come to holiness or personal holiness. Personal holiness is about living our Christian identity in a corrupt and hostile world. This is continuing to inform us how it is that we should live. But to do this, we have to be driven by the gospel. We have to make sure that we have our priorities and our understandings right. We can't pursue personal holiness without being driven by the good news of Jesus Christ. Before we dive into this subject a little bit more, let me just make a couple of clarifications and distinction when we're talking about holiness We are talking about practical holiness, not our position before God as our Father. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who sets us apart as his people through his saving grace. So in terms of our position before God, we are that child that can run into the king's bedroom at 3 a.m. and demand a glass of water. But there's this practical aspect of our lives, We're separate from sin and not others, so we're not living in this isolationism where we just remove ourselves from everyone. No, practically, we learn to be separate from sin even as we are amongst others. This is where it's very important for us to make sure that we understand what we're talking about in terms of personal holiness. We're going to see this in just a moment. There's a a bit of an equation that's at work here. We have to start with the good news, not start with our actions. This is where we begin to understand if our equations are off a little bit. If the answer comes from you, your equation is off before you even begin. If you realize that through Jesus Christ we stand chosen in him, declared as righteous, and even clothed in righteousness, as we'll see in just a moment, Oh, you're starting from a wonderful place. But it's not about our external appearances either. This is certainly important, but it's not the primary aspect of holiness. Holiness is also not boring. Let me just say that part again. Holiness is not boring. The affirmation of Scripture is that those who pursue holiness are blessed people. That you'll actually experience enjoyment, and delight. Jerry Bridges calls this the performance treadmill for those who are are pursuing holiness in the wrong way. They are like those runners on a treadmill and can never get off of the treadmill of performance. And yet if you are pursuing holiness, you will experience enjoyment and delight because you never have to go down the tumultuous road of shame. Imagine life in that way. I think for many here this morning, that's something that you long for. You long to experience the enjoyment and the delight of this Christian life. You hear of it, and it sounds wonderful, and yet you have yet to experience in some areas of your life the good of that season. And God today is saying, look again to my word. Look again to the good news of who Jesus is. Others may think about personal holiness and just say, if I've already been declared as righteous, why is this important to cover at all? Well, personal holiness is the starting point for the will of God in our lives. Have you ever considered that? It actually makes up for deficits in our lives. It gives us a way to examine ourselves, not in a comparative way, but to see how it is that we need a Savior. To see where there are deficiencies and to see how it is that God makes up for them in our lives through Jesus Christ as our Savior. See, it's not calling us to greater and greater talents or abilities or accomplishments for the kingdom of God. It's calling us to greater and greater likeness to Jesus Christ. Uh, Years ago, I had the opportunity to speak in a middle school chapel And those are challenging messages to give, to be sure. But I've realized over the years that there's an important message that we need to give to one another in the church. The world does not need a better version of any of us. The world needs a Christ-like version of all of us. Imagine if we would have had the opportunity to get that at a foundational level. God is rebuilding the foundations of our faith through these words today. He's rebuilding the foundations of our faith. Will we let him do his work? Will we let him call us to something greater than what we've settled for in our lives? See, our our new identity has power and hope, and so Peter is saying, live like that. Your new identity has power and it has hope, so live like it. Notice that these exhortations the way that we're called to live are rooted in the grace of God. We never should reverse the order. He says, therefore, at the beginning of this passage, and so he's building on the 12 verses that came before it. What happens in the 12 verses before it? We're shown that we're chosen. We are elect exiles. We're shown that in Jesus Christ, it is his great mercy that has purchased us for his purposes. We're shown that it is God's power who is guarding our faith in our own lives. We're showing that we can rejoice even in the midst of sufferings. The sufferings that we'll face in this life are not eternal sufferings. We're showing that there's going to be a purification of our faith, that there's going to be afflictions that we will face, and yet we are a privileged people because we live in the fulfillment of the promises of God. That's what he's building on, and then he says, prepare your minds. There's identity language throughout our passage today. It talks about us being children, that we get to call God Father, that we have been ransomed, that we were foreknown. This is grace, church. This is the grace of God, and he's saying, put your hope fully there. Hope has a purifying effect, doesn't it? 1 John chapter 3 verses 2 and 3 say it this way, beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we will see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you hear the echoes of the same words that we see over here in verse 16? Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That is direct language from Leviticus as the people of God who are set apart, the people of God who have been brought out of Egypt and set apart as his people in miraculous ways. Peter's using those same types of languages to speak to these chosen exiles, these brought in and sent out people. And he speaks to us today and he says, your identity has power and hope, live like it. He also wants them to understand that they're in a war, so live like it. You're in a war, so live like it. I don't know what it looks like to prepare my mind for action. The actual Greek here says to gird your loins. I don't know what the loins of my mind are. It just seems like a great way for me to be confronted on saying inappropriate things this morning. But we know from Scripture, we know from history what it meant for those warriors to gird their loins was to actually bring up their cloaks in ways that it wouldn't become something that trips them up as they need to run in battle. Church, you're in war. Live like it. You're at war. Live like it. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. In other words, don't be intoxicated by the things of the world around you. This isn't just talking about drunkenness. It's not talking about less than drunkenness, but it's not just talking about that. It's saying don't be infatuated by the world. When you think about it like this, the world has people who are paid to entice and be infatuating. Have you considered that? Have you considered that the world has made an industry of enticement? Industries of enticement. And you might think, well, I, yeah, I can think about that when it relates to vice. I can think about that when it relates to this. What about just the accumulation of stuff? I'll admit, there's a couple of car commercials that I enjoy. I'm enticed by those car commercials because that car looks like it works. <laughs> Church, let's not be enticed by the things of the West. A little too honest, y'all. Thank you for laughing. Don't be enticed. Don't be infatuated or influenced. Don't become drunk on the things that intoxicate the world. No, do what instead? Set your hope fully on the grace of God. Engage your mind. Don't be conformed. Abstain from passions because you're waging war. War movies are some of my favorites. While this is not an endorsement, I've seen war movies. I hope that's not shocking to anyone. I remember seeing Saving Private Ryan with my dad and learning something about combat that he had actually seen in Vietnam when that opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan, my dad leans over to me in the theater and he says, that's the closest I've ever seen it captured on film to things that I saw in Vietnam. I just remember thinking, like, I thought you were a medic in Germany. And dad's kind of given me a little bit of an insight into what really he went through in those days. Perhaps you recently saw in the last couple of years when the movie 1917 came out I don't know about y'all, but I saw that movie, and I was exhausted at the end. I wasn't even in it. But I was exhausted at the end. Why? Because there's just such an intensity to the way that that movie is captured. And you think, I felt like I was in that. And it's just a glimpse of what we are actually in in spiritual warfare in this Christian life. What does it require of us? Stamina. Stamina. Purpose, intentionality, vigilance. Now, I'm not saying for your quiet time this week to watch the movie 1917. What I'm saying is to live like you're in war. Because at all times, we have to be on guard. Are there moments that you're letting your guard down in this life? When you're trading out that identity, when you're taking off the uniform of the one who called you. You are in a war, so live like it, church. What else does Peter tell us here? He tells us that our new life's calling is holy, and so we're called to live like it. You know, we talk about the attributes of God. There there are two types of attributes that we'll talk about. We'll talk about those communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. Communicable attributes are the ones that we can begin to reflect. We can begin to show God's character through our own lives and character. Now think about it this way. I heard years ago a pastor say that there are times that we live contrary to our nature. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before. You're living against your nature. You're living against your new nature might be a way for us to talk about it in the church. Have you ever lived contrary to your new nature? My family has experienced the ill of that. Have you ever lived contrary to who it is that you want to be in Jesus Christ, and that's a part of the way that you go back and ask forgiveness of someone, that's not the way that I want to be. That's not who I am called to be. Please forgive me. Where are the ways that we are living contrary to our new nature because our, our lives calling is to be holy as he is holy? Now, we remember that this is different than the position that we have before God. So this is more than something about our morality, but this is more than just being separate as well. It includes that. It includes being this holy other, this otherness as God reflects, but it means to be so bound up with God that our lives are lived for his glory. In other words, this is not just rejection of the world around us. It is the fullness of our devotion to God. Him. You know, I have a hard time hearing the words, the fullness of devotion without thinking of President Reagan's words following the Challenger accident. What did he say? He said that they gave their last full measure. What a wonderful, beautiful phrase. But for us today, church, can we see how it is that what we just sang is more than just a beautiful sentiment of, I let go of all I have just to have more of you. Where is God calling you to lay down your life that you might gain it in Christ? To be fully devoted in church. As I've been studying this week, this is the part that I can't get past for us as a church today. I think that there are many here that get the rejection part and they miss the devotion part. I'm concerned for us as a church that we get half of this equation right. We get to the part where we say, I know I'm not supposed to be in the world, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And church, can I say what will shape the culture of this church in ways that no leader has the ability to see out is your devotion to Christ himself. I hope what you hear me saying in love this morning is, church, let's not settle for less than God's best for us when it comes to personal holiness. Don't just be those who reject, be those who devote yourselves to his purposes as well. I can't speak to all of the different ways that this may be the case for us today, but I do know this, I think that the Holy Spirit is doing something in us as a church, and he is calling our devotion to be increased to him. What that looks like in your life, let me encourage this. Wrestle with that question in your own life. I know I find myself wrestling with that over these last few weeks as we've been preparing for this series. What does it look like for me to be fully devoted to God? And my concern this morning is that there are times that I intentionally don't share illustrations because I'm concerned about what might be understood by them. But can I say this? I experience the same types of rejection because of devotion to God that you do. I have been standing with friends and had to say no to things. And I have walked, I have wa- I could take you to the place where that friendship ended, downtown Orlando. When I said, I cannot go there with you. I know those moments of rejection. But church, that's what it means to be devoted to God. It says that I'm not going to take this relationship and say it's everything to me and throw away the relationship with my Lord and Savior I know those moments when what's happening at work I don't mean this here in the church but I know those moments when that workmate is enticing you into something actually I know those moments when the job is enticing you to something else I remember a season where I was about three months away from having to move out of town because of a job. Hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. I know those moments, church, but the question we all have to wrestle with in those moments is not just what we are rejecting in this world, but what we are called to devote ourselves to in this world because we are living for the age to come. Don't just half do this equation, church. Why do I say that? Well, it's because Jesus is better. Yesterday I was doing some yard work and Alec and I were out in the yard working. He offered to help me mow. I would be a fool not to take him up on that offer. I was grateful we were able to get much more done than I can get done on my own and this is definitely my way of cajoling Caleb into helping us next time. I'm joking, I'm I got done with that, and Stephanie asked me, she said, have you eaten today? I said, yeah, I had half a bagel this morning, which was definitely gone by that point. And then she was offering to make me something else, and so I said, not right now. It was just too hot from being out in the yard, et cetera, et cetera. A couple hours later, I came to her, and I said, do you mind helping me make this? I'd like to have this now. And then they were going to be gone for the evening, so this was going to be my other meal for the day. And in that moment, what I did not want her to offer to me was, I I will make half of that meal for you. Because half of that meal wouldn't do for what I needed. I needed the, the full meal. I needed the carbs and the protein. I needed all of that to replenish what had been taken away. And you know, church, I, I think about that, that uh, illustration and when it comes to our lives, how often do we deplete ourselves in the work week? Now, there's tasks that you're called to be faithful in to be sure. We, we deplete ourselves on the campus. We deplete ourselves in those relationships and things that are going on with others and what we are filling ourselves with is less than what we need for our spiritual nourishment. Jesus is better. Jesus is the one who will help fuel our gratitude as we realize that he is the one who has drawn us out of darkness and into light. He is the one who helps to motivate us as we begin to have a higher and higher view of God that he is the one who is holy. And even as we are called to live in that holiness, we continually fall short. And who is it that continually brings us into the presence of the Father? It is Jesus. Jesus is better. And this is where it's important for us to get that equation right. Don't trade out Jesus as the full buffet for your spiritual nourishment for whatever that half a bagel is. I'm gonna leave it there because I feel like I'm on the edge of losing everybody with that illustration, so we're just gonna leave that one. What else is Peter after in us? He wants us to know that the eyes of the Father are watching, so live like it. Now, here's where I just bumped into one for some of you. Oh, here it comes. God's watching. God's watching. We treat him like this holy Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. That's creepy, right? But the eyes of the Father are watching. There was a time in our house, I do not do this anymore, it would be a huge mistake. There was a time in our house that every Saturday morning was wrestle time on the bed. It was like WrestleMania for me and the boys. And the match wasn't over until all of the sheets were off of the bed. This was not Stephanie's favorite time of life. I don't do that now because a few years ago, the boys came to me and they started telling me these PRs that they're working on in the gym and all this kind of stuff, and I started to realize, that sounds a lot like my weight. (laughs) Hang on, they're ganging up on me. So I told them, I said, listen, if your intent is to hit all these PRs so that you can take your old man down, let me just assure you, that weight will be in motion. (laughs) We haven't wrestled in some years now. But there was a time when it was WrestleMania. I miss this time. I miss this time of life. We would wrestle around, and what would happen? We would wrestle around, and as, as I'm rolling over them, what is happening? I am holding them close to me, but it is my arms that are holding the weight. Right? There's a closeness and an intimacy to that moment. There was also a moment when it was time to be done wrestling. And if one of the boys stepped out of that, what would I do in that moment? I would say, no, that, that time is done. The sheets are off the bed. See, I think that that's the picture of God the Father that we should have. Intimacy and authority. A closeness. How often have you seen a parent that they're, young, they're training a young child, usually in that six to nine month age, and they're holding a baby close and that baby tries this move. <laughs> and slaps their parent. What happens in that moment? Intimacy and authority. At least that's what should be happening, parents. I remember times, my my nephews now are working through this time. They want to remove the glasses. Now, Uncle Chris's OCD can't handle smudges on his glasses. But more than that, thanks, babe, I heard you. And no amen, that's true, is what I get back from my wife. All right, First Lady, everybody um there's intimacy and authority no leave uncle chris's glasses right there see this is the picture that we should have of god the father intimacy and authority don't separate the two don't pit them against one another because god's nature is not against himself His holiness is at the core of who he is. He is the father. He is the judge. Psalm 103 connects the two in some beautiful ways. But there is both intimacy and authority. There is delight and discipline. But you see, accountability cannot be the only motivation for holiness, but it is one of them. And so let's hear that from Scripture as a part of God's good for us as his people today. Lastly, what is it that Peter is after in us The gospel is available to you every day. Not live like it. Preach it to yourself. The good news of the gospel is available to you every day. You see, it's Jesus' sacrifice that purchases our ability to pursue holiness. What is it that it says at the closing of our passage today? It says that we were foreknown and Jesus was made manifest Who through him we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in him. But look back at verse 18 as well. Knowing that you were ransomed, you know, there was a price paid for your life. The price that is paid for your life is not your ability to be holy, it's not your ability, your own ability, to be Christ like. It's not your own strength to accomplish something for yourself. No, what price was paid was not perishable like silver or gold. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot. That's what pays our ability to pursue personal holiness. When I say Jesus is better, maybe maybe I can put it this way. Is Jesus worth it to you? I don't say that to be a guilt trip. I say it to be a unit of measure for us. Is Jesus worth it to you to live your life pursuing all of Him? This is where that devotion part of the equation comes in. And when we see Jesus is more beautiful, we want to run after Him. Notice that I said earlier that. There's this language of exiles, even like those who had been chosen for the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus, but Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. He leads to our ultimate exodus. And this is something that we can know and that we need to be regularly reminded of so that we don't remove our uniform and mingle about the crowd. You know, through Jesus, it's how we're known as believers, but it's important that we realize that Jesus is not some helpless victim of God's plan. Jesus isn't our scapegoat. He is both lion and lamb. He is the one who came and accomplished the work that he intended to do, but there's not going to be any personal holiness in our lives without a Christ-adoring heart, because it's not primarily external. It's what's going on in our own hearts today. And remember that the engine that's going to fuel that is a heart filled with love for Jesus Christ. So I wonder today, where is the Holy Spirit working in your heart, helping you to understand where it is that you've begun to slip into the practice of removing your uniform, whether that's the moment that you walk out of these doors, the moment that you pursue something in temptation or sin, the moment in the week where you just finally give up and say, God seemed like enough until this point and now I'm not sure that he's enough. We all face those moments, we all face those temptations, but from Isaiah through Revelation it is affirmed that the saving work of Jesus puts a uniform on us. We are clothed in righteousness, not our own. The clothed in the righteousness through Jesus' blood. His righteousness paid the ransom for us. And today, it is enough for you. Live like it. Church, will you stand together?